We want to take a second to thank you for supporting Womance by listening to our podcast. One great way that you can continue supporting us, including those listens, is hitting subscribe, telling a friend, leaving a review. That stuff all really matters. Sharing it on your personal social media is another great way to spread the word about Womance. And another option for supporting us, if we may be so bold, is to recommend going to our Patreon, where you can donate as little as a dollar a month to help us spread the word of woe. If you want to contribute more than a dollar a month which obviously no pressure whatever you've got we are so appreciative to have but we have awesome gifts for you if you want a hand addressed letter from morgan and isabeau maybe with some special whoa stickers other merch just uh, visit our patreon we are womance on patreon or is it patreon.com forward slash womance we would be very proud to call you one of our patrons Hello? Hello? <laughs> no, 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 you go right ahead. No, After you. you I'm so sorry. Own. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. That was me. That was me. No, it's you. It's you. It's you. <clears throat> okay, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just go. It, I'll just you. go. It's you. I'll just go. It, <laughs> Hello and welcome to another edition of the Public Access Read Along of Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen with Womance featuring moi. Your odd chapter reader, Morgan. And me, your even chapter reader, Isabeau. This week episode chapter is 41, mm-hmm. which means last chapter, for those of you keeping track at home, was chapter 40. Isabeau, can you remind us of what happened in chapter 40? Chapter 40 was a barnstormer. Honestly, so much didn't happen. <laughs> Peak Pride and Prejudice. (laughs) Uh, So there was a conversation between Jane and Lizzie, which Lizzie had been longing to have, wherein she finally got to tell Jane all about the letter and the proposal from one Mr. Darcy. Jane Janed all over the place. And she's like, oh, Mr. Wickham can't be that bad. Poor Mr. Darcy. He must have felt so sad when you didn't say yes. All the while, Lizzie's like, shut the fuck up. You can't like both of them. And I'm sure Darcy felt bad, but like, don't blow it out of proportion. Uh, The only thing that Lizzie held back was how much Bingley had liked Jane and how easily he had been uh, led astray by the commanding persuasion of one Fitzwilliam Darcy. Lizzie kept that little gem to herself and thus spoke Zathura. (laughs) Before we embark on chapter 41, would you have made that call for your sister? Would you have held back that information or would you have told her? I would have told her. And here's why. Because I think it bespeaks a genuine lack of character on Bingley's part, right? Like, if he'd really loved her, loved her the way that I need someone to love my sister, I would have been like, he didn't love you enough, right? If he could have been, you know, this, this taken with Darcy's assessment... He's a he's a he's a little bit of a fair weather fan, you know what I mean? And I mm. I can't have that. Yeah, we know Lizzie's 
intelligent and would probably... It, I don't get the sense that Jane is, like, really over him. No, she's not. And so I think I would also tell her to give her, like, a little kick in the tush, to give her the ick, like you said. It belies a certain character flaw in Bingley. However, maybe Lizzie's playing 4D chess here. <laughs> <laughs> maybe Lizzie's smarter than the both yeah. of us. Yeah. Maybe. maybe. She's not a youngest child. No, she's not impulsive. She's not an impulsive liar. <laughs> she's a calculated one. Yeah. That's the difference, really. <laughs> yeah, that's the difference. All right, should we start on chapter 41? Please. The first week of their return was soon gone. The second began. It was the last of the regiment's stay in Maryton, and all the young ladies in the neighborhood were drooping apace. Drooping apace. The dejection was almost universal. The elder Miss Bennets alone were still able to eat, drink, and sleep, and pursue <laughs> the usual course of their employments. Very frequently were they reproached for this insensibility by Kitty and Lydia, whose own misery was extreme, and who could not comprehend such hard-heartedness in any of the family. "'Good heaven, what is to become of us? What are we to do?' would they often exclaim to the bitterness of woe. "'How can you be smiling so, Lizzie?' Their affectionate mothers shared all their grief. She remembered what she had herself endured on a similar occasion five and twenty years ago. "'I am sure,' said she. "'I cried for two days together when Colonel Miller's regiment went away. I thought I should have broke my heart.' "'I am sure I shall break mine,' said Lydia. "'If one could but go to Brighton,' observed Mrs. Bennet. "'Oh, yes, if one could but go to Brighton, but Papa is so disagreeable. "'A little sea-bathing would set me up forever, "'and my Aunt Phillips is sure it would do me a great deal of good,' added Kitty. "'Such were the lamentations resounding perpetually through Longburn House.' Elizabeth tried to be diverted by them, but all sense of pleasure was lost in shame. She felt anew the justice of Mr. Darcy's objections, Yikes. and never had before been so much disposed to pardon his interference in the views of his friend. But the gloom of Lydia's prospect was shortly cleared away, for she received an invitation from Mrs. Forrester, the wife of the colonel of the regiment, to accompany her to Brighton. This invaluable friend was a very young woman, and very lately married. A resemblance in good humor and good spirits had recommended her and Lydia to each other, and out of their three months' acquaintance, they had been intimate too. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Got some foreboding italics there. No kidding. The rapture of Lydia on this occasion, her adoration of Mrs. Forster, the delight of Mrs. Bennet, and the mortification of Kitty— are scarcely to be described. Wholly inattentive to her sister's feelings, Lydia flew about the house in restless ecstasy, calling for everyone's congratulations and laughing and talking with more violence than ever, whilst the luckless Kitty continued in the parlor, repining at her fate in terms as unreasonable as her accent was peevish. I can't see why Mrs. Forster should not ask me as well as Lydia, said she, Though I am not her particular friend, I have just as much a right to be asked as she has, and more, too, for I am two years older. In vain did Elizabeth attempt to make her reasonable, and Jane to make her resigned. 
As for Elizabeth herself, this invitation was so far from exciting in her the same feeling as in her mother and Lydia that she considered it as the death warrant of all possibility of common sense for the latter, and detestable as such a step must make her were it known, she could not help secretly advising her father to not let her go. She represented to him all the improprieties of Lydia's general behavior, the little advantage she could derive from the friendship of such a woman as Mrs. Forster, and the probability of her being yet more impudent with such a companion at Brighton, where the temptations must be greater than at home. He heard her attentively, and then said, Lydia will never be easy till she has exposed herself in some public place or other, and we can never expect her to do it with so little expense or inconvenience to her family as under the present circumstances. That's a dad right there. Oh boy. If you were aware, said Elizabeth, of the very great disadvantage to us all which must arise from the public notice of Lydia's unguarded and imprudent manner, nay, which has already arisen from it, I am sure you would judge differently in the affair. Already arisen, repeated Mr. Bennet. What, has she frightened away some of your lovers? Poor little Lizzie. But do not be cast down. Such squeamish youths as cannot bear to be connected with a little absurdity are not worth a regret. Come, let me see the list of pitiful fellows who have been kept aloof by Lydia's folly. Read her like a book. Yeah, like, Mr. Bennett is incisive when he wants to be, and part of me, like, agrees with him, right? Where it's like, if somebody truly cared about you, the absurdities of your family would read, like, nothing so much as eccentricities and more reason to love you or protect you or support you. But I don't live in Regency England, where literal lives are determined in ballrooms and, like, If you don't marry, you don't eat. If Mr. Bennett's worldview was correct, this entire novel would not exist, nor would it have the impact that it has today. You make an excellent point. (laughs) (laughs) I find a historically, I agree with him. Yes, exactly. Yeah. A little absurdity. Uh, Indeed, you are mistaken. Ugh, Lizzie. (laughs) Don't lie to your dad. I have no such injuries to resent. It is not of peculiar, but of general evils, which I am now complaining. Our importance, our respectability in the world, must be affected by the wild volatility, the assurance and disdain of all restraint which mark Lydia's character. Excuse me, for I must speak plainly. If you, my dear father, will not take the trouble of checking her exuberant spirits and of teaching her that her present pursuits are not to be the business of her life, she will soon be beyond the reach of amendment. Her character will be fixed, and she will, at 16, be the most determined flirt that has ever made her, herself and her family ridiculous. A flirt, too, in the worst and meanest degree of flirtation, without any attraction beyond youth and a tolerable person, and from the ignorance and emptiness of her mind, wholly unable to ward off any portion of that universal contempt which her rage for admiration will excite. In this danger, Kitty is also comprehended. She will follow wherever Lydia leads, vain, ignorant, idle, and absolutely uncontrollable. Oh, my dear father, can you suppose it possible that they will not be censured and despised wherever they are known, and that their sisters will not be often involved in the disgrace? I mean, I think she's being pretty 
hard on <laughs> on the situation. To be young, Lizzie, you were young once. Not young like Lydia and Kitty, though, and that's what she's kind of saying. Do you think so? Do you think she never, like, flirted with whoever was young and willing to flirt back? I think that she's not as vivacious as Lydia. I think Lydia really is, like, different in that way. And, like, I think where the judgment comes in is the the worst and meanest degree of flirtation without any attraction beyond youth and tolerable person from the ignorance and emptiness of her mind. Like, that's really mean. Yeah, I think that's mean, but I think that's also, like, all young people. Carrie Fisher said something really similar where she's like, it's not cool to give someone a compliment, like, because they're, you know, pretty and thin. She's like, that's the accident and good fortune of youth. Like, give someone a different compliment, like, on their brains or their talent, something that they actually worked for. What I'm saying is Lizzie is kind of describing like general youthfulness. It's problematized by Lydia's attitude. When you're young, I think you do flirt with basically whoever will flirt with you. And it doesn't matter if they're good looking and it doesn't matter if they're smart and it doesn't matter if you're attracted to them. Like if they're giving you attention, you reciprocate. I think Lizzie is trying to... I think I think what I'm trying to point out is that Lizzie is thinking more generally of propriety instead of specifically about Lydia. I think that's right. And I think it's also like, it's not just that Lydia responds to attention, which I think is like, you're right, a kind of condition of a young person, especially a vivacious one. But I think like Lizzie's already anticipating the other side, right? Like she's like, it's not wrapped up in what Lydia is or isn't doing. It's like, what others are receiving Lydia do. Yeah. But if she lets her dad know explicitly that she's thinking about how other people perceive them without acting like Lydia's some kind of space alien, then he'll definitely know it's about a boy. He already knows. Two boys, in fact. Mr. Bennett saw that her whole heart was in the subject and affectionately taking her hand said in reply, Do not make yourself uneasy, my love. Whenever you and Jane are known, you must be respected and valued. And you will not appear to less advantage for having a couple of, or I may say three, very silly sisters. We shall have no peace at Longburn if Lydia does not go to Brighton. Let her go, then. Colonel Forster is a sensible man and will keep her out of any real mischief, and she is luckily too poor to be an object of prey to anybody. At Brighton, she will be of less importance even as a common flirt, than she has been here. The officers will find women better worth their notice. Let us hope, therefore, that her being there may teach her her own insignificance. At any rate, she cannot grow many degrees worse without without authorizing us to lock her up for the rest of her life. With this answer, Elizabeth was forced to be content, but her own opinion continued the same, and she left disappointed and sorry. It was not in her nature, however to increase her vexations by dwelling on them. She was confident of having performed her duty, and to fret over unavoidable evils or augment them by anxiety was no part of her disposition. Had Lydia and her mother known the substance of of her conference with her father, their indignation would hardly have found expression in their united volubility. In Lydia's imagination, a visit to Brighton comprised every possibility of earthly happiness. 
She saw with the creative eye of fancy the streets of that gay bathing place covered with officers. She saw herself the object of attention to tens and to scores of them at present unknown. She saw all the glories of the camp, its tents stretched forth in beauteous uniformity of lines, crowded with the young and the gay, and dazzling with scarlet, and to complete the view she saw herself seated beneath a tent, tenderly flirting with at least six officers at once. Had she known that her sister sought to tear her from such prospects and such realities as these, what would have been her sensations? They could have been misunderstood only by her mother, who might have felt nearly the same. Lydia's going to Brighton was all that consoled her for the melancholy conviction of her husband's never intending to go there himself. But they were entirely ignorant of what had passed, and their raptures continued with little intermission to the very day of Lydia's leaving home. Elizabeth was now to see Mr. Wickham for the last time. Having been frequently in company with him since her return, agitation was pretty well over, the agitations of former partiality entirely so, and she had even learned to detect, in the very gentleness which had first delighted her, an affectation and a sameness to disgust and weary. In his present behavior to herself, moreover, she had a fresh source of displeasure— for the inclination he soon testified of renewing those attentions which had marked the early part of their acquaintance could only serve, after what had since passed, to provoke her. She lost all concern for him in finding herself thus selected as the object of such idle and frivolous gallantry. And while she steadily repressed it, she could not feel she could not but feel the reproof contained in his believing that however long, and for whatever cause, his attention had been withdrawn, her vanity would be gratified and her preference secured at any time by their renewal. On the very last day of the regiment's remaining in Maryton, he dined with others of the officers at Longbourn, and so little was Elizabeth disposed to part from him in good humor that on his making some inquiry as to the manner in which her time had passed at Hunsford, she mentioned Colonel Fitzwilliams and Mr. Darcy's having both sent three weeks at Rosings, and asked him if he were acquainted with the former. He looked surprised, displeased, alarmed, but with a moment's recollection and a returning smile, he replied that he had formerly seen him often, and after observing that he was a very gentlemanlike man, asked her how she had liked him. Her answer was warmly in his favor. With an air of indifference, he soon afterwards added, How long did you say he was at Rosings? Nearly three weeks. And you saw him frequently? Yes, almost every day. His manners are very different from his cousin's. Yes, very different, but I think Mr. Darcy improves on acquaintance. Indeed, inquired Wickham with a look which did not escape her. And pray may I ask? But checking himself, he added in a gayer tone, Is it an address that he improves? Has he deigned to add aught of civility to his ordinary style? For I dare not hope... He continues in a lower and more serious tone that he is improved in essentials. Oh, no, said Elizabeth. In essentials, I believe he is very much what he ever was. Zing. While she spoke, Wickham looked as if he... as if scarcely knowing whether to rejoice over her words or to distrust their meaning... There was a something in her countenance which made him listen with an apprehensive and anxious attention, while she added, When I said 
that he improved on acquaintance. I did not mean that either his mind or manners were in a state of improvement, that from knowing, but that from knowing him better, his disposition was better understood. Wickham's alarm now appeared in a heightened complexion and agitated look. For a few minutes he was silent till, shaking off his embarrassment, he turned to her again and said in the gentlest of accents, "'You, who so well know my feelings towards Mr. Darcy, will readily comprehend how sincerely I must rejoice that he is wise enough to assume even the appearance of what is right.' His pride in that direction may be of service, if not to himself, to many others, for it must deter him from such foul misconduct as I have suffered by. I only fear that the sort of cautiousness to which you, I imagine, have been alluding is merely adopted on his visits to his aunt, of whose good opinion and judgment he stands much in awe. His fear of her has always operated, I know, when they were together." and a good deal is to be imputed to his wish of forwarding the match with Mr. Berg, which I am certain he has very much at heart. Elizabeth could not repress a smile at this, but she answered only by a slight inclination of the head. She saw that he wanted to engage her on the old subject of his grievances, and she was in no humor to indulge him. The rest of the evening passed with the appearance, on his side, of usual cheerfulness, but with no farther attempt to distinguish Elizabeth, and they parted at last with mutual civility and possibly a mutual desire of never meeting again. When the party broke up, Lydia returned with Mrs. Forster to Maryton, from whence they were to set out early the next morning. The separation between her and her family was rather noisy than pathetic. Kitty was the only one who shed tears, but she did weep from vexation and envy. Mrs. Bennet was diffuse in her good wishes for the felicity of her daughter and impressive in her injunctions that she would not miss the opportunity of enjoying herself as much as possible. Advice which there was every reason to believe would be attended to, and in the clamorous happiness of Lydia herself in bidding farewell, the more gentle adieus of her sisters were uttered without being heard. And away she goes to Brighton. Away she goes to Brighton with Miss Forrester, who clearly this text has no respect for. It's funny how petty the narrator can be. For example? Just like the things that the narrator said about Mrs. Forrester, which we can assume that like Lizzie doesn't know because she's been gone at Rosings for the entire acquaintance of Lydia and Mrs. Forrester. Uh, so where does it say it? Um, where were those italics? A resemblance in good humor and good spirits had recommended her and Lydia to each other, and out of their three months' acquaintance, they had been intimate, too. This invaluable friend was a very young woman and very lately married. That's petty. Is it the varies? Yeah, it's the varies and then the italics where it's like, no one could be fast friends if you've known someone for three months and been intimate for two. What do you really know of them? And it's like, have you never just like been struck by lightning in a friendship narrator? <laughs> the narrator, I think, is... is indi- I think the italics and the varies, the emphasis mm, yes. in those sentences is meant to make us weary more than I think it is... I think it stands in judgment of the Bennett family more so than Mrs. Forrester. 
because they're letting Lydia hang out with this very young, very lately married, silly woman. Letting her go to Brighton with this very young, very lately married uh, two-month friend. Yeah. I mean, that is true. It's a big trip without anyone with, like, I guess this text is also saying that Mrs. Forrester is not going to be much of a chaperone. Yeah. I think that's the biggest indicator. And that it's clear that she wouldn't be. Right. And that she's going to be some sort of instigator. Yeah. Or at the very least a cheerleader of Lydia's worst impulses. The narrator is is definitely indicating something. I don't know if it's pettiness so much as just like a little bit of ham-fisted red flagging. I think like that's one of the the subtleties of this novel that kind of lands well is that I, I think we're able to identify these things because we've read it before. But if you were reading it for the first time, like what would your perception of Mr. Bennett's speech there be? You know, like you said, especially as a modern reader, like, mm-hmm. oh, he's making good points. They should just let her go. Like, what else are you going to do? Right. And like his points, too, are like so cutting and incisive when he's like, well, he's talking to Lizzie about Lizzie, but when he says that Colonel Foster is a sensible man and will keep her out of any real mischief, like she's not going to fuck someone. Um, and she's luckily too poor to be an object of prey, right? Like he's trying to allay Lizzie's potential fears for Lydia's person. Although like that isn't exactly what Lizzie was referring to. Like she didn't say that she's worried about Lydia being like taken advantage of, which I think Mr. Bennett is right to intuit is is a natural fear of her being unchaperoned in Brighton. Yeah. I think, like, Lizzie's concern is even if she had the world's greatest chaperone, she would still be Lydia in public Mm -hmm. without the censure of her older sisters. And, like, yeah, and her dad's just like, I mean, I don't think she'll get fucked. (laughs) Yeah, that's, like, totally his thing. (laughs) But we know from earlier italics that her dad doesn't even know Colonel Forster that well, probably. It's true. I mean, the Forsters have only really been in town for three months. It's not like Mr. Bennett, like, socializes often. So, like, he can't know Mr. Forster very well. It is one of those things where someone tries to comfort you with the worst case scenario, but you haven't even crossed that hurdle. You're like, I'm still at the, like, general dysfunction of this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't need, like, the specific catastrophes that could unfold. <laughs> and he's like, don't worry, those specific catastrophes can't unfold because she has no money. As I'm sure everyone in Brighton will know. Right, because Lizzie's going to tell everyone that? Or Lydia's going to tell everyone? Within time, like, yeah, how is that? I don't know. I guess they all have little like pocket copies of that, like pe- of the peerage or De whatever. De Beers, De Bretts, De whatever. De Bretts. I think it's De Bretts. De Beers is the right. diamonds. Maybe that's why. There aren't any pictures in that book, so a lot of good it does you. Thank God for th- Facebook. Thank God Mark Zuckerberg fixed the problem of the peerage book in England. I mean, he did. That's why it was invented at Harvard, which is like essentially an American peerage. Do you know it is interesting that it like it is something to think about that there actually was like at universities face books, books of faces, so that you could like 
know people at your school by their face. That blows my mind. And why didn't the... <laughs> the peerage isn't that big. Why didn't they do that? They did. It was Debrett. No, but with pictures. The faces are the important part of the Facebook. Oh, because portraits would have been expensive. But then you would have to update it with a new portrait after like each and every Earl or Baron well, died. Like, well, the expensive like of thing. Them. You wouldn't have been able to own a copy. There's more than 12, especially when you get into like the lower duchies. Like if we're talking about like the first 20 to like inherit sh- the throne, sure. There's like, you know, 12 dukedoms. Yeah. Put their faces in because then you could be like, oh, they kind of look like that guy. And their name is also Cheryl, like this lower duchy. If I have I'm adding this to my time machine to do list. It's not a bad idea. <laughs> Turn the peerage book into a Facebook. Anyways, yeah. Lizzie and her dad. I'm glad that we had an interlude of Lydia's fantasy. I thought that was pleasant. It was quite lovely. <laughs> <laughs> we enjoy being in Lydia's head far too much. We really do. It's weird. I didn't think that that was going to be my takeaway from this text, um, but it really is. Uh I just like the uniformity of the tents and that she's flirting with no fewer than six officers. God love her. I, uh, I saw something with the actress who played Lydia, Carrie. No, Carrie Mulligan played Kitty. It was Jenna Malone who played Lydia in the... Carrie, so Carrie Mulligan was uh, interviewed and someone was just asking her to identify lines from her movies. She could not identify the line from Pride and Fringe. <laughs> Well, because Kitty has basically no lines. It was like, like oh, the lines. officers are coming to Maryton. Um, but she couldn't identify it. But she did say that like it was her first ever acting job, and she really didn't know what to do. She's a she's a nepo baby, mm. and so she just followed Jenna Malone around, who'd been acting since she was, you know, very young, and it worked out really well because that was the character <laughs> as well. Seems right. Kind of a nice story. It is a nice story. I think, like, also the Jenna Malone is, like, the old hat of all of the actresses. Because, like, Rosamund Pike hadn't been in a ton at that point. Keira Knightley had already done Pirates. She's also a Nepo baby. Rosamund Pike had already had, like, I think an overall bigger career than Kira, Like, a more extensive career. But I think you're right. I think Jenna Malone for sure had the most credits. Yeah. Out of all and of And had done the most interesting stuff. Yeah. The girl who played Mary went on to marry Elon Musk. That's fucked. Twice. Twice? Yeah, I think twice. I think they divorced and remarried. That's crazy. She didn't do much acting after that. Isn't that funny? That's terrible. I feel really bad for that person. I mean, also feel bad for, like, the six other ex-wives. <laughs> I mean, I do. I feel bad for all of those human beings. And, like, especially Grimes, who's, like, in some sort of really ugly custody battle right now. That just sounds awful. Yeah. Grimes will be fine. Anyway. (laughs) Yeah. Hopefully those kids will be, too. Um, All right. Well, shout out to Grimes if you're listening. Hang tough. And uh, loosen your prejudices. Never your prides. Woli guacamole, everyone! Thanks for listening to another episode of Womance. Womance is hosted, produced, and edited by my friend Morgan. And by my friend Isabel. 
Our logo artwork is by another friend, Mary Reichman. You can find her on Instagram at m.reichman, spelled R-E-I-S-C-H-M-A-N-N. Original music by Nick Gravelin. And our webmistress is Jane Bonzak. They're the best. You're also the best. We so appreciate your support by listening. Please consider taking this to the next level by following, rating, and reviewing. We read every single review. Or even check us out on Patreon. If you'd like more woe in your life, you can connect with us on Instagram at womans and on Twitter where we are at mans underscore woe. Or you can find more episodes and content at womanspodcast.com. If you have an idea or just want to reach out, please email womancemail at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Womance is a part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts to add to your romance collection at frolic.media backslash podcasts. Until next time.